This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Well, I asked my uh, oldest child on a scale of 1 to 10... Uh, how good is dad as a husband? And he kind of said, well, that's not really my, you know, I, that's not for me to grade. I was like, no, but you have a front row seat. So he gave me an 8.5. And, and so I said, I said, okay, so how about, how about mom? And, um, and he said, 8.5. It's like, all right. All right, so then I moved down uh, to the twins, and um, I didn't ask them together, asked them separately, asked my son, uh, scale of one to ten, how well is dad as a husband? Eight. Wow. Went to his twin sister, well, actually I said, how about mom? Eight. (laughs) Went to his twin sister. Scale of one to ten, ranked dad as a husband. Eight. So how about mom as a wife? Eight. <laughs> and I said, your twin gave the same thing. And she kind of loved that, that they gave the same without knowing, you know, like the twin thing, you know. Then went down to the youngest. And I thought, this is either going to be ten or two, you know. It's like, <laughs> scale of one to ten. Dad is a husband, seven. Biblical number of perfection and wholeness, right? <laughs> Mom, seven. He said, there's always room for improvement, Dad. We all need to improve. We all need to improve. And I'm willing to bet that you feel like I feel there's a lot of room for improvement. If you're a husband, if you're a wife, you probably feel like there's lots of room for improvement. And it's my hope this morning that by the Spirit's power working through us and working through his word, that we'll all take a few steps forward, that we'll all be molded and shaped and become better husbands and better wives, and that those that aren't uh, married will have a vision for marriage and we'll know how to encourage those that are and pray for those that are. So I hope you've already found your way to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we are. I'm titling the sermon this morning, The Marriage Ain't the Marriage. And uh, we'll talk about why that is a little later. Uh, But let's read the text together, picking up in verse 22 through 33. You follow along as I read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33. Wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray for the Lord's help this morning. Father, help us to understand your word and to live it out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning what we're going to see are the roles in marriage, rhythms in marriage, and the results in marriage. The first thing that we see in this text are the roles in marriage, that God gives specific roles to husbands and specific roles to wives. And what we see is that God gives the role of head to the husband. Look at, at it with me in verses 22 and 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. What's this role? It's the head. It's the role of authority. It's, it's the role of leadership in the home. This is the role that God has given to husbands in the family. The husband is the leader. He's to be decisive. He's to have a vision for his family. And fundamentally, husbands, let's understand this. What comes with this role? It's responsibility. The husband in the marriage has the unique responsibility for the well-being and the health of the marriage, for the direction of the marriage. It's his unique role given by God. This is what it means to be the head. The, the word head there actually does have a connotation of authority. The role of wives, we see, is to be a helper. And we see this in part by pivoting over to the creation account in Genesis 1.18. Genesis 1.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So husbands in the, in the marriage are head and wives are helper. Look at verses 22 and 24 again. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. There, there's this coming alongside. There's this partnership that wives are to, to, to participate in with their husbands. Look at verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So there's this holistic helping and supporting that wives have been given this role in the marriage. Now, this is what's really, really important to understand. This text, God is not speaking about value, worth, or competency. Rather, God is establishing order. God's establishing order. In other words, God has not left our marriages to just figure it out on your own in the chaos of no guidance. But rather, God has spoken clearly with order about how a marriage is to be structured. So when he says you're the head, husbands, and when he says you're the helper, wives, he's not talking about worth. He's not talking about value. When you go back to the creation account, you see that, that male and female were both created in the image of the infinitely valuable God. So, so to have low self-esteem is actually an insult toward God. 
For anybody to have low self-esteem is an insult to God because we've all been created in the image of the infinitely valuable God. We all have husbands, wives, male and female, we all have equal worth and value. And in ascribing roles, God, through the Apostle Paul, is not speaking about competency. I Listen, my wife is far more competent than me in many, many things. Can I get an amen? Those of you that know us well, chimed in without hesitation there. So, so, so what, what Paul is not speaking about is competency. Listen, there's, there's wives all over planet Earth that are far more competent than their husbands in countless areas. What Paul is speaking about is order. Um, Perhaps an illustration uh, will help here. Uh, I, I, think of, um, I, I think of a president and a vice president. And I, I think in, in, with a president and a vice president, there's, there's order there. So clearly the president is in authority, and the, but the, and the vice president is partnering with the president to accomplish the vision. But you don't really hear vice presidents... Um, bemoaning the fact that they're not important. You don't really hear vice presidents complaining about uh, they're, they're not really valuable. <laughs> no, like, like if the vice president walked in this morning or if former vice presidents walked in this morning, um, many of us would stand to our feet. Many of us would be in, in awe that the vice president of the United States is in our midst. Well, listen, can I just tell you that I think the role of husband and wife is more sacred than the role of president and vice president in the United States of America? In, in other words, my hope for a flourishing society has more to do with the health of marriages than it does a competent president and vice president. In, in other words, by God's design, his plan to see uh, societies flourish, by his plan, it's rooted in healthy marriages. So husbands and wives, we're not speaking about about value, we're not speaking about competency. Many of us might look back upon uh, presidents and vice presidents, and we might argue that the vice president was far more competent than the president. Um, and so, and so it is, uh, and so it is with marriage. Uh, why, why is understanding our roles so important? Uh, just think about a like think about a ba- like a baseball team or a softball team. And think about how chaotic it would be if the catcher suited up in the catcher gear and went out to the mound to pitch. And the pitcher, wearing no protection, went behind the plate to catch. Can you imagine watching the catcher try to wind up and pitch in catcher gear? I mean, it would look foolish, wouldn't it? It would look foolish because the catcher is trying to function outside of his assigned role. Also, it would be foolish for a pitcher to get down behind the plate without any protective gear on. Harm is coming quickly. The first foul ball that comes to them, why? It's because the, catcher is try- the pitcher is trying to function outside of their role. Listen, by God's design, he wants marriages to flourish. And he's not left us in the dark. He's not thrown us in the deep end without instruction. 
He's not said, go figure it out and enjoy the chaos that comes from that. Rather, God has said, no, I'm going to ascribe order. I'm going to ascribe order in the marriage. And of course God would do this. Of course God would do this. And we see structures of authority all throughout society. Why should we think that marriage wouldn't have a structure of authority as well? So there's roles in marriage, but inside these roles, there's also rhythms in marriage. And we see that husbands, their rhythm is sacrificial love. Look at this with me in verses 25 through 29, and then in 33. Look at verses 25. Husbands, love your wives. So we have a role, and we have a rhythm. A rhythm is what we do. A role is who we are. So husbands, you're the head, you're the leader, you're the authority in your marriage. Here's your rhythm. You're to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So you're to to sacrificially love your wife. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that he might that she might be holy and without blemish. He's he's liking this relationship of husbands to Christ's love. And 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 there's something special that happens when Christ loves his church. When we, his church, experience his love, our hearts change. Our lives change. Our attitudes change. Our actions change everything about us. It's Christ's love that sets us apart as unique, special, and peculiar. And and what Paul is saying here is a husband's love is similar to that. It's powerful in that way. You set your, your bride aside as special and unique when you lavish your love upon your bride. Husbands, love your wives. Look on uh, verse, picking up in verse uh, 27, so the, uh, rather 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. This is the radical oneness of marriage. He who loves his wife loves himself. There's, there's, there's too much spirit of independence inside marriage. The vision of marriage is oneness. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And then look at verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects the the, the husband. Husbands, find every creative and meaningful way possible to love your wife. This isn't something we can grow lazy in. We must be diligent and intentional to love our wives well. Find out what's important to her and lean in. Find out what she is weak in and be helpful. Husbands, what are the things that you hate to do but you know would be a blessing to your wife? Do that. That's sacrificial love. As long as it doesn't compromise the well-being of your family, go where she wants to go. Listen to what she wants to listen to. Eat where she wants to eat. Continue to lead decisively. And when she doesn't understand why you need to make a hard decision for your family, remain calm. Encourage her to trust you and to trust the Lord. 
love her well enough that you let her cry in your presence for no reason at all. Love her well by being understanding and not always a problem solver, Mr. Fix-It. Be patient with your wife. Be gentle when she needs you to be gentle. And be firm when she needs you to be firm. Loving your wife is not something you can take a break on, husbands. Love is hard. It takes work. And it flourishes through commitment. Wives, the rhythm in marriage that God has given us uh, for wives is respectful submission. Look at verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Look at verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So wives, we have a God-given role of, of helper in a God-given rhythm of supportive submission. This is what God calls you to. This is the rhythm that God invites you into. Wives, support, respect, and honor your husbands. Follow and submit to your husband's leadership anywhere, anytime, doing anything as long as it's not sinful. When you follow your husband's, uh, when, you, when you follow your husband, you are following, following and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't lose sight of that. Proactively find ways to encourage his leadership. Creatively and intentionally affirm him in as many ways as you possibly can. Don't, don't grow weary in submitting to your husband. Submit to him in everything, as the scripture says. Crucify your sinful flesh that wants to control and manipulate and trust that safety is found in following your husband. You are your husband's biggest cheerleader. Don't let his friends, his coworkers, or his family praise him more than you do. Study him and know what would be meaningful to support him. Respectfully tell him what you think, what you want, where you think he's wrong or unwise. Bring all of your insights, gifts, and talents to bear on all of your life together and then persevere in submitting to your husband. Your reward will be great. That sounds like just a beautiful vision, doesn't it? Sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? <laughs> no, it's so hard. It's so difficult. And our, our natural being, our natural man and our natural woman goes against the grain of this. Um, the culture scoffs at this. This vision of marriage is not popular in our culture today, not even remotely. Um, it, would, it would be scoffed at, it would be ridiculed, it would be uh, declared as old-fashioned. And this is what's so beautiful about the body of Christ, is that we're different. Listen, the world will not find hope in seeing a reflection of herself. When, when, the, when the world comes into the church, if all they see is a reflection of themselves, there's no hope in that for the world. There's no hope in that. Like, like, why would I give up my Sundays to be just like those people? <laughs> Not me. No way. But when they see something distinctive, 
When they see a strong, brilliant, gifted, competent woman joyfully following her husband's leadership, wow. They scratch their head in confusion because they don't understand it. It doesn't fit with the way they understand the world. We're to be different according to God's word. When, when, when husbands are, are unwilling to just spend every Saturday on the golf course, spending long time away from their wife, but instead they're doing sacrificial things around the home, Men get laughed at and scoffed at. And, you know, you might say things like, you know, who wears the britches in that home, right? Or they might see, they might feel conviction in their spirit because they know there's a strong man who's able to sacrifice and put his needs aside to put his wife's needs before his own, to put his, his wife's desires before his own. This is really hard, and our sinful nature goes against this. In a couple of ways, Um, husbands who are called to be loving, sacrificial leaders um, in their sin will often become either uh, tyrannical dictators, banging their fist upon the counter, declaring that they're the head of this household. And that's a sinful posture and attitude. Or, Or husbands will fall on the other side of the fence where they'll find themselves um, being tempted to be passive. Maybe they found a rhythm where their wife is super decisive and it's just so much easier to let her decide on everything. So I'm just going to be quiet and I'm just going to kind of go along. I'm not going to speak up when I need to speak up. I'm not going to display courage in leadership, but I'm going to be passive. Listen, tyrannical dictatorship nor passive leadership is God's model for husbands. It's strong, sacrificial love. That's what God's desire is for husbands. So we've got to know, do you husbands, do you fall over on the side of the fence of being too domineering? Is that where sin would trip you up? Or do you fall on the side of the fence of being too passive? You need to lead a little more. You need to speak up a little more. You need to be a little more decisive. Can you identify which side of the fence that you're more likely to fall off on? Um, Wives, in, in your sin, you might fight for control. You might manipulate or be argumentative. You might also always be disagreeable to what, your, to what your husband recommends or what he says or the vision for your family that he's casting. So in your sin, you may not want to follow leadership. You may want to buck leadership. You may not want to submit to leadership. You may want to challenge it. You may, that, that sinful nature in, in, in you. The, the other side is you may so avoid, you may so be afraid of conflict that you go along to get along. In, in, in other words, for wives, God expects you to bring all of your gifts, all of your talent, all of your insight, all of your opinions to bear on all of your marriage. Can I say that again? God wants all of your gifts, all of your insight, all of your talent, all of your opinions, all he wants you to, to bring all of it to bear upon your marriage, and that takes courage. But he wants you to bring it to bear in a respectful way, with a heart of submission. So, so being submissive doesn't mean I'm just going to shut up and not share what I think. 
No, that's not the biblical vision of submission at all. Biblical submission is, I'm going to tell you everything I think, and then the responsibility is on you, my husband, to make the final decision, and the responsibility on me is to support your decision. But I'm going to tell you why, before you make the decision, why I think that's a foolish decision, or why I think that's an amazing decision, or I'm going to share with you every idea that I have that shapes this decision. Here's what's beautiful. Submission is only needed when you disagree. When you're you're in agreement, you're in agreement. So so God calls wives to submit when when you're in disagreement. I would say it's more than that, though, because what God is always after is the heart. So, So God is not looking for wives to just merely go along. He's looking for them to embody a heart of submission. So that when they bring all of their ideas and all of their gifts and all of their talents and all of their creativity to bear on all of their marriage, when they do that, they do it with a heart of submission. In other words, their husbands shouldn't feel as though they're seeking to control by the tone of how they're bringing it to the table. But for many wives, it's easier to remain silent and to go along, to get along. That's not God's vision for submission. He wants you to speak up. He wants you to be heard. He wants you to bring all of your brilliance to bear on your marriage. And then enjoy the fact that God holds your husband responsible for the final decision. So we must understand um, that God has a vision for marriage and that our sinful nature will go against the grain on that. Some of you may say, well, well, pastor, we... um, Let me see. Well, I'll get into that in just a moment. So we have roles in marriage and we have rhythms in marriage. It's the the order and then it's how we are to live with one another. Well, here's what's beautiful is is when we do that well, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So so understanding understanding your nature goes against this. So then how do we effectively live this out? We live it out by walking with God in tune with the Holy Spirit in a relationship with God. You can't embody this biblical vision of marriage without the power of the Spirit of God living in you. It requires a close, intimate relationship with God to lead with courage or to submit joyfully. Man, that requires the Spirit of God. What's the result? The result in marriage is is that marriage becomes a display of the gospel. I thought, about starting, I thought about starting the sermon this morning by asking you, if someone asked you, what is the purpose of marriage, what would you say? What is the purpose of marriage, what would you say? So many husbands and wives go throughout their whole life not understanding a biblical purpose for marriage. Why? Why does marriage exist? Well, there's many reasons why marriage exists, so oneness and procreation, but what we see in this text is that marriage exists to display the beauty of the gospel to one another and to the world. This is the result in marriage. Look at verse 23 through 29. We see this woven all through this text. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. 
like right out of the gate, in the instructions in marriage, he's saying, the husband is the head, just like, just like Jesus is the head of the church. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to her husbands. So when, when wives submit to their husbands, it's a picture of the church submitting to, to Christ. So, so you've got a mom who's also a wife. And she so wants her kids to submit to the Lord Jesus, but she won't submit to her husband. Do you, do you see where that gets off? So, so the wife, as she submits to her husband, can say to her kids, do you see how I follow your dad? That's how you're to follow Jesus. And so when there's inconsistencies, it's harder for children to follow Jesus when there's a not a right order in, in the home. You see, you see this, this result. Husband loves your, look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So when a husband loves his wife, it displays a picture of Christ's love for the church. This is why a husband's love must be sacrificial. It must be patient. It can't take vacations. Because God's love for his church is patient and sacrificial, and it never goes on vacation. God loves us every moment of every day on our worst day. And this is, marriage is to be a picture of that. You, we, we, you read on verse, look at verse, look at verse 31. Therefore a, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In other words, marriage is, is inextricable. Marriage is, is um, always a living parable of Christ's relationship with the church. Now think about how important the gospel is. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said that the gospel is the most important thing in all the Bible. In, in Galatians, he says, if anybody preaches a different gospel than I'm preaching to you, let him be accursed. So what kind of gospel are we preaching with our marriages? Do you, do you see? When we live out this vision for our marriage, we're messaging the beauty of the gospel to others. Now I want to give eight considerations as we begin to close. Eight, eight considerations. The first consideration, and this may have come up for you, is, is, is you thinking, well, in our marriage, my wife's personality is more naturally a leader, and the husband's personality is more naturally a follower. And it just seems to go easier when she leads and the husband follows. Okay, that's natural, and what God is giving us is supernatural. So, so what God is not saying is, go figure out what's most natural for you. That's not what God's saying. He's saying, no, I have a vision for marriage that leads to flourishing, and it's supernatural. It goes against the grain to what's natural. So here's what's amazing. What's amazing is when you have a couple that's like what I just described, where the, where the wife's personality is a strong, decisive, kick-butt, 
take charge kind of a kind of a personality. And the husband's personality is a little quieter, kind of go with the flow. When the husband exerts leadership, wow. He's stepping out of a place that's comfortable. He's stepping into a place that's hard. And he's doing it for the glory of Jesus. And when a wife who's super decisive, who doesn't need anybody else's opinion to make a decision, when she joyfully, supportingly, respectfully submits to her husband, wow. It, it requires great sacrifice. It requires great obedience for a wife to align with that kind of purpose and that kind of rhythm. So don't let your personalities trump the authority of God's word. That's what I'm saying. Second, don't reject God's design because abuses are present. Listen, people all over the world use the text that I'm preaching from this morning to justify abuse. It's horrific, it's evil, it's heartbreaking, it's sinful, and God hates it. There are people all over the world that that will appeal to this text and be harsh with their wives and be harsh with their families. And God does not permit that. So I want to caution us. I think we all know that. I want to caution us from going, okay, well, people use this text to justify abusive relationships don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. In, in the same way we would say sexual abuse happens all over the world. And we don't say, therefore, husbands and wives shouldn't have sex. Do you see the logic? Do you understand the reasoning? So, so don't let the fact that some people take this text with a, a brutal interpretation and a terrible application, sinful, evil, heartbreaking to the heart of God, Don't let that reality keep you from seeking to embody it with all your might. Number three, read your own mail. I heard this at a marriage conference years ago. In other words, when you go home today, the only verses, husbands, that you need to be focused on, paying attention to, and talking about are the verses that address you. That's your mail. Anybody ever opened up your mail before? Do you love it when people open up your mail and read it before you get to read it? I don't like it. And wives, the only mail you need to read today, this week, this month, is the mail addressed to you. Can I just say there's wisdom in that? It's not an absolute. I'm just giving you pastoral wisdom. Read your mail. Focus on your mail. And it will take time. This is not a magic wand. But friends, listen. If you, by God's grace, empowered by his spirit, grow and improve at embodying your role in your rhythm, God will shape and change your marriage. It may take time. It may take your community group praying with you and praying for you. It might take accountability that makes you really, really uncomfortable. But God has a good plan for your marriage. Don't give up on it. It's something to enjoy, something to display the gospel in. 
Uh, number four, um, let this vision shape your dating. So if you're not married and you're dating and you want to be married, let this vision shape your dating. What does that mean? That means if, you, if you're dating a guy that's not sacrificially loving you while you're dating, don't expect that a switch is just going to get turned on if you get married. And, and if you are dating a woman who's just super argumentative, don't assume, don't assume God does not command your girlfriend to submit to you. Let's be clear. He only commands wives to submit to their husbands. God does not command women to submit to all men. That's not what this text says. God commands wives to submit to their husband. So, so uh, your girlfriend is not obligated by God to submit to you, okay? However, if there's not a natural heart that you can see would translate well into submission in marriage, don't expect a switch to just get turned on by somebody you're dating in marriage. Does that make sense? Um, for divorced people, let it shape your reflection. Divorced people can look back and they can see, okay, that, that's a biblical vision of marriage and this is where he went wrong and this is where I went wrong or this is, where, this is where she went wrong and this is where I went wrong or wow, this is where we really blew it and this is why our marriage ended the way it did. We didn't understand roles. We, we, like, we got married and we had no concept of roles. We had no concept of biblical rhythms. Um, perhaps as a divorced person, as you reflect upon this, perhaps there'll be a moment of confession where you just talk to the Lord of, Lord, I was a terrible leader. And you've, perhaps you've never asked God for forgiveness for being a terrible leader in your marriage. Perhaps you've never asked God for forgiveness for not uh, being a, a great follower and a great submitter. So for divorced people, reflect on this and allow it to spawn on conversations with God. For children, those of you that sat through this whole sermon going, I'm not married, when's he going to get done with this? Do you, know, do you know how badly I want my children to pray for me and my wife? For, for children all over the congregation this morning, let this vision shape your prayers for your parents. Pray that your dads would be gentle and patient and loving and sacrificial with your moms. Pray that your moms would be joyfully submissive, bringing all of her gifts to bear on all of the marriage, and that they might together be able to display the beauty of the gospel. So children, pray for your parents to embody this. Number seven, I, I have it listed as creation over culture. Some people will argue that what I've just described to you this morning is just a remnant from an outdated patriarchal culture. And so they'll argue that if the Apostle Paul was writing to our church today, he certainly would not command husbands to sacrificially lead, and he wouldn't command wives to joyfully submit. He certainly wouldn't do that because that's just so inconsistent in our culture today. But I want you to know that the Apostle Paul was not, he was not writing to reinforce cultural values of the day. And we see that because he grounds his whole argument in creation, not in the culture of the day. He grounds it in the created account in the book of Genesis. And I want you to see this um, over in verse 31. Look at verse 31. It says, therefore, a man shall leave 
his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Where's that from? That's from the creation account in the book of Genesis. So what Paul is saying is, hey, this is, this is not just a, a culture thing. This is a creation thing. This is by God's design at creation. So you can't say that's so outdated, that's so old-fashioned. No, at creation, God established this order and ascribed these rhythms. And then, and then lastly, uh, uh, we've got a dear godly couple that's leading a summer study this summer. Um, and the, su- the study is called um, Love and Respect. Love and Respect. So if you're thinking this whole, this whole time, I'm so glad my spouse is listening to this sermon. Man, he needed that. Man, she needed that. Man, we need this. We need this. And so right now, you can text MISSION to 97000, and you can sign up you and your spouse for a summer study on marriage led by Bob and Rhonda Pittenger. They've led this study before. The seasoned, godly Christians with adult children Um, you can sign up for that study today, and I encourage you to do that. So I just closed with the title of the sermon today, The Marriage Ain't the Marriage. If you've been around real life long, you've heard me say the building ain't the building. Um, We've bought land. We're going to have a groundbreaking party next month on the land. Um, We'll start moving some dirt, and this fall we'll really kick it in high gear, beginning to build a facility uh, that we'll move into, Lord willing, next year. And, and one of the things that I shared with the church going through this, this series with the building is the building ain't the building. It's just the house of bricks where the builder's going to build this building. You remember that? The builder ain't the building. Well, the marriage ain't the marriage. What do I mean? Well, the marriage ain't the marriage. It's just the earthly relationship that points to the eternal marriage of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. You see, our earthly marriages are just that. They're earthly. Well, we know our spouses in heaven as our spouses certainly, but they'll be brothers and sisters in Christ and the ultimate marriage for eternity will be the marriage of the bride of Christ, the church, to Jesus, the groom. The marriage ain't the marriage. So what should that do? Well, that reality, it ought to let you take a little pressure off. Can we just do a collective sigh? If your marriage today is not all you dreamed it would be, it's okay. If your marriage today is it's just not measuring up to what you really imagined, it's okay. If you're not yet married and you always wanted to be, it's, it's okay. Because the eternal marriage will be the bride of Christ with Christ himself. That'll be the eternal marriage that will shine brightly for all eternity. Hallelujah. I hope that doesn't burst some of your bubbles. <laughs> Um, But as you understand that more and more, you will enjoy that more and more. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your great love. Oh, God, how we need your spirit to be good husbands and good wives, to be godly husbands and godly wives. Oh, God, how we need courage to be willing to go against the grain of the values of our culture. Lord, we believe that, that healthy families produce healthy churches, healthy churches, Lord, Shape healthy societies and cultures. Oh, God, would you bless every family, every home. We trust you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Y'all right? Everybody okay? Anybody need to find a new church? Um, hey, as you stand to your feet, I just want to say I love you, church. I love you, church. Um, let, me, let me just say this. I, I understand in a congregation of church our size, there are probably handfuls of you that passionately have a strong opinion that differs with everything that I just said. I just want to let you know it's, it's not necessary that you find a new church if you do. There, there, there are top-tier issues that unite us as a church. And I, and I wouldn't say that distinct roles in marriage lived out the way I described are one of those that must unite us. In other words, I just want to say um, we can have unity with diversity on what I just described. Now, I humbly think that what I just said was true, accurate, and right. And I think it'll lead to the flourishing of your marriages. Um, but if you differ, you don't have to find a new church. We can have unity with diversity. But we're praying for you for God to change your mind and change your heart and change your marriage. Church, I love you. Let's sing out. Let's worship the one that's worthy. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.